Hasn't this been a weird six months? How many would say, yes, pastor, it's weird. Just, it's just been absolutely strange. I was, um, I was thinking about through this whole pandemic how, how it's made me think about things that I hadn't thought about before and, and doing things that I've never done before. How many of you are like me and I never realized how many times I touched my face until the CDC said, you can't touch your face? I mean, it's like the moment I read that the first time, CDC says, don't touch your face, all of a sudden my nose started itching and it's not stopped, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, I can't, can't do that. And Wanda, would you scratch my nose for me, please? You know, she, you know, she can't touch my face either. Or uh, how many of you are, have found yourself, this is really funny, but Wanda and I have done this several times now, we're watching a movie, an old movie, and all these crowds of people are gathering together and we're like looking at each other going, they're not social distancing, you know, they're not social distancing, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. Or uh, how many of you have found yourself counting while you wash your hands? You know, count to 20? Have you done that? Yeah. Count, you know, 15, 16, 17. Or how many, <laughs> I know some of you get this. How many of you were, were so surprised because you went into a store early in the pandemic and you found toilet paper? You remember that? And it was like finding a $100 bill on the sidewalk, you know. It's like, oh, they got toilet paper here, you know, and because uh, everybody had scarfed it up. Or I, I thought about this a week ago when I went in. <laughs> I'm in the bank, and the suspicious person in the bank is the person not wearing a mask, you know. It's, this has been so crazy through this pandemic, and I, I, was, I was traveling this week. I went back to uh, our son and his family uh, that live in Baltimore are moving back, and I spent some time this week trying to help them get some stuff packed up and ready. And uh, I, when I got in, I was connecting through Denver, and when I got into Denver and turned my phone on, um, I started blowing up with sports scores and stuff, and I saw K-State, K Kansas State beats Oklahoma at Oklahoma and I'm like, what? And then I saw LSU, the, number, you know, the, the, the national champions from last year, got beat at home by Mississippi State. That, you know, the, a number one team has not been beat in their season opener since 1978. And I thought, well, of course, it's 2020. What would you expect? You know, this, this is just a year of the abnormal. And it's affected us in, in deep ways. And... Um, you know, when I, I sat back and I began to think about just some of the emotions that I know many of the people that I'm around have felt and, well, I have myself have felt, um, I thought of several. I want to throw them, we'll throw them up on the screen for you. Um, many of us have felt fear, uh, fear for ourselves, fear for people we love, uh, fear for our jobs, fear about the future. We felt uncertainty. It's kind of like, wow, I told the staff when all this stuff happened and we had to go online completely at the beginning. I said, guys, none of us have ever been in waters like this before. We don't know exactly what to expect. We're going to have to build the bridge while we're walking on it because we don't know what's coming. Um, insecurity. Um, all of a sudden, things you thought you could count on and now kind of get thrown up in the air. Uh, some of us have felt panic. Some of us have felt grief as we've had things taken from us and people that we've lost. Um, a lot of people have dealt with loneliness. This has been a big one through this, and I want to kind of talk specifically about that today. Um, confusion. Confusion about knowing what's going on. Uh, disappointment and frustration. 
Um, those two, I, you know, I got, I got thinking as I was working on this, I was thinking about, you know, for some of you who, um, you know, you didn't get to do your high school graduation or it was so completely different from the way that you thought it would be or your college graduation, um, how many weddings got planned that, you know, didn't happen or got moved or had to be different than your dream that you had, um, how many people who had lost family members and the funerals had to be postponed or it had to be different than, than we would normally do. And all of these things have created a lot of um, just difficult emotions for us to process. Um, it's been a whole new abnormal. And, and that's what I want to talk about in this series. Um, I want to talk about how do you navigate through abnormal times like this? Um, when I was thinking about this series, the thing that hit me was Paul's letter to the Philippians. Because Paul writes this letter from jail. He's been imprisoned. He's doing God's will. He's preaching the gospel. And he gets arrested as a result. And now he's in jail. He can't do any of the things that he, that he used to do. He can't connect the way that he used to connect. He can't do all of this stuff. And yet what's so amazing when you read the book of Philippians is that the reoccurring theme through Philippians is joy. Uh, some form of the word joy is used like 14 times uh, in those four short chapters. And so I thought, you know what, this would be a good series for us because some of us are still struggling with the emotions of this. And what can we do to maybe get our feet under us? What can we do to lean into this new abnormal instead of running from it? Where can we find some help and some hope and some stability? Are you ready for that? Well, let's, let's, let's look together today. I want to look at Philippians chapter 1. I want to look at the first 11 verses, and I want you to look as, as Paul opens this letter, because we find a real key right here at the beginning. You ready? Here we go. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is from the New, New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of, G, of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time, listen to this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with what? With joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you will live a pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. 
When you ask the question, you know, what got Paul through this new abnormal, um, you see a couple of things right off the beginning. The first is his deep faith in God. And I just want to lean into you and say this. Uh, if you have not personally committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, if he is not leading and guiding your life, can I just tell you, you need him. You need him. You need the strength that only God can give. You need the wisdom that only God can give. You need the help and power and presence of God that only he can give. But Paul gives us another insight right here at the beginning of the book of something else that we need that will really help us through times like this. You know what it is? It's each other. It's relationships. Paul demonstrates this so well here. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, so, well, duh. Of course, Steve. No, 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 no. Don't miss this. Because here's one of the things that's happened to us in this pandemic. Many of us have pulled further away from people than we've ever been before. And one of the keys that Paul gives is how important relationships are to endure abnormal times like this. It, it, again, you've heard me say this over and over again. From the very beginning of time, when God created us, he created us not just to need him. He created us to need each other. From the very beginning, God himself said, it is not good for man to be, say it again, alone. It's not good. Uh, and you go to the New Testament, you'll find that uh, some form of the words one another are used like 119 times. Uh, pray for one another, encourage for one another, lift one another up, love one another. Uh, and over and over and over again, this whole idea was that we are to live not just in relationship with God, but that we are to live in close relationship with each other. And when I was reading Philippians, when I was rereading Philippians, preparing for this, it just jumped out at me from the very beginning how Paul said that a big part of how he was able to navigate through this was because of the relationships that he had from these Philippians. Now, let me unpack this for you just a little bit. I, wanna, I tried to go back and just kind of look at what Paul was saying and pull out a few thoughts, principles, and ideas that I hope you will just process with me this week. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. Don't wait until you need people before you value people. Don't wait until you need people to really value people. Come on, walk back through this with me again. Where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in jail. Uh, maybe in Ephesus, maybe in Rome, not quite sure. But Paul's in jail. Here's what I want you to get. Paul didn't wait until he was in jail to start trying to make friends. Are you hearing me? You see, so often we, we, we tend not to value people. Or we don't give them the value they deserve until all of a sudden we become panicked and realize how much we need them. Um, it, it's so interesting to me. Again, I, I, coming up this next uh, January, February, I will have been in ministry for 40 years. I'll complete 40 years. I started when I was three in full-time ministry. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what, what was funny for me is how, how many times through the years um, I've seen people that they, they, don't, they don't seem to have, they don't have any need for the church. It's like, ah, I really don't need the church. I don't want to come to church. Don't really want to belong to a church until a crisis happens. 
And then all of a sudden it's, wow, I'm in the middle of this crisis. I'm, you know, my, my marriage is falling apart. I'm in a financial disaster. I've got relationship falling apart. I'm going through a health crisis. And all of a sudden it's, you know, I need God and I need people. Well, of course you do. But the problem is it's really hard to start scrambling for those things into your life in the middle of what you're going through. Does this make sense to you? When Paul got to jail, he already had friends he could count on. Now look at me. You know I love you. But this is what Paul was saying to us. Relationships are important for us to cultivate, and we need to do that before disaster happens. I love what um, I put on your outline there. It said, you know what? God gave us relationships as a what? As a what? As a gift. Sure they are. Now, how many of you, be honest enough to admit, you have a few relationships that are pains? Anybody? Yeah, we got those stuff, but that's okay. You know, that's a part of the process, but they are also a gift to you. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes. I love this. Ecclesiastes writer says, two, pers- two people are better off than one because they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep warm, but how can one stay warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Read it with me. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And that's what Paul was saying to us. You know what? If we've got a strong relationship with God and we've got some strong relationships with a few other people, fellow believers, you know what? We become that third strand and that becomes something that is strong. Does that make sense to you? I've had several pastors ask me the question, how I felt the the pandemic was going to impact people. And here's one of the things I, I said is my concern. It's, it's become, because everything has moved online and we've done a lot more of this kind of stuff, it's, it's become easier and easier for people to not attend church and not stay connected to the church. And here's what I believe. When this is all said and done and the pandemic is over, there are going to be a lot of people who aren't going to still come back to church. Now, hear my heart. That's concerning to me, not because I'm a pastor and I want a full house. I don't get paid on commission, okay? Uh, What's concerning to me is there are going to be a lot of people who are going to get out of the habit of being connected to the church, and they're not going to really think about it until they hit their time where they're in jail, they're in crisis, they're up to their necks in problems. Does this make sense to you? Don't wait till you need people till you value them. I... (laughs) I read this some years ago. This was, this was a great story. It's a, a guy who's a bricklayer got injured on the job, and he, he wrote uh, on his insurance form about uh, how he got hurt after he tried to move 500 pounds of bricks from the top of a, fourth, a four-story building to the ground below. Here's what he says. It would have taken too long to carry the bricks down by hand, so I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by a pulley, which I had fastened to the top of the building. After tying the rope securely at the ground level, I then went up to the top of the building. I fastened a rope around the barrel, loaded it with the bricks, and then I swung it out over the sidewalk 
And then at the, got to the bottom, I untied the rope, holding it securely to hold the barrel, to lower the barrel down slowly. But since I only weigh 140 pounds, the 500-pound load jerked me off the ground so fast that I didn't have time to think about letting go of the rope. And as I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and the lacerations on my upper body. I held tightly to the rope until I reached the top where my hand became jammed in the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk with a bang and the bottom fell out. With the weight of the bricks gone, the barrel now only weighs 40 pounds. Thus, my 140-pound body began a swift descent, and I met the empty barrel coming up. This accounts for my broken ankle. Slowed only slightly, I continued the descent until I hit the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. At this point, I lost all presence of mind completely, and I let go of the rope. (laughs) And the empty barrel came crashing down on me. This accounts for the head injuries. The last question on the form says, what would you do differently if the same situation arose again? The bricklayer simply wrote, please be advised that I am finished trying to do the job alone. And all God's people said, you better believe it. Don't wait till you need people to value people. Don't do the job alone. There's a second piece in this from Paul that I think is really good. And that is we, we don't just need people. We need partners. We need partners. Don't miss this. Um, in that first 11 verses, did you notice how Paul said, you know, I, I thank God for you and for your partnership in this? Can he says that? Really cool. That word partnership uh, is the Greek word koinonia. Uh, it's the same word that's translated several times in the New Testament as the word fellowship. Um, but it has, a, it has a really deep meaning to it. In other words, these weren't just acquaintances of Paul. Uh, These were deeply committed friends. The word koinonia has a level of intimacy uh, that's connected to it. Um, It means that you're you're more than just someone I know, um, just a face that I see. You're you're someone that I I can depend on. You are a partner with me in life. I, I can bear the burdens that you have, and you are willing to bear the burdens that I have. There is this mutual commitment. Does that make sense to you? And the reason I say that is because um, sometimes when we talk about this kind of relationships, you know, people say, well, I know lots of people. Yeah, it's not about knowing lots of people. Let me just stop for a second. Again, this is church. This is why God created a church. I want you to stop. I just want you to look around the room for a moment. Because what I promise you is you'll see a lot of faces that you recognize. Some of these people you know by name. But here's the deal. How many of them have you gotten to know on a level that if you were in need, you could call them? How many people do you know that you you could bear their burdens and they, they would call you and you would call them? You see, that's what it really means 
to do life together. Does that make sense to you? That's what Paul's talking about. Not just friends, partners. I love Acts chapter 2. gives a great description of what the church was like and what I really believe the church was meant to be. Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45. Read it out loud with me. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. In other words, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. This is why we make such a big deal about cultivating relationships, about getting connected in classes. And I know this pandemic has gotten everything, you know, kind of at, at array, but even, even if you're zooming into a class, keeping that connection, keeping people in your life, that they're going to pray for you and you're going to pray for them. They're going to call you. You're going they're going you're going to call them when you have a need. That's the kind of relationship Paul is talking about. I thought about Paul's words early in Philippians when he said, every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. Every time I pray, I thank God for you. Here's the question. When you pray, who do you thank God for? Who is your koinonia partners that you thank God for? Can I ask it a different way? Who thanks God for you? Who thanks God for you? Look at me, church. You see, when we talk about being connected in each other's lives this way, it's, it's not just about what you might need one day. It's about what they might need one day as well. They're not going to call you if they don't know you. You know, interesting, just from my observation through these last six months, what's been interesting in, in uh, come trying to come alongside of, of our people through all of this, it, what, I, what I've realized is the people who have these kinds of relationships in their life, they've navigated these last six months a lot easier than people who do not, just a fact. You know, it's funny, um, one of the things that happened to us culturally as we moved from being uh, an agricultural uh, society to a more industrial society, is when we moved from the country to the city, it, what's funny is you, we've got a lot more people a lot closer together, but we really don't know the people around us. And what's interesting is how in an agricultural communities, how they develop deep abiding relationships because they've learned uh, out there that they need one another. Does this make sense to you? Some of you may have seen this. I just thought this is the most beautiful example of koinonia I've, I've, I've seen in a long time. There is a, um, a guy in South Dakota this month, this past month, um, a 57-year-old 50, by the name of uh, Lane Unjum. And he, um, he's a farmer, got a few thousand acres of, of land, and he was uh, harvesting, getting ready to start harvesting his wheat and canola, and his combine caught on fire. And he jumped out, and he's fighting the fire to put, his, put the fire out on his combine, and as he fought that fire, he had a massive heart attack. And, of course, he's out in the middle of nowhere. They life-flighted him to Minot, North Dakota, and he, he was, in, it was in ICU. But now, all of a sudden, here's this farmer um, who has a, a thousand acres of wheat and canola that needs to be harvested, and a combine's burned up, and he's in, 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 in the hospital, and how, what in the world is going to happen? Well, what was so cool in this story 
was how a family friend heard about it within the first two hours that he was life flighted, immediately began to get on the phone, contact some other farmers and say, hey, uh, here's what's happened to Lane. He's got a thousand acres that's going to need to be harvested. I know everybody's busy, but can we, can we pull together a few people to help him? And they did. Throw that picture up on the screen. When it was all said and done, they had 60 volunteers show up um, with six different grain cars and 15 semis and 11 combines. And they went to work, and in one day's time, and actually in seven hours, they completely harvested a thousand acres of wheat and canola for him. A thousand acres. A week later, another group of farmers came back and harvested his soybeans for him. And another week later, some other farmers came and they moved the big bales of hay that he had indoors. They, they, get, they did all that. And, I, and I'm reading this article and, you know, and, what, and, and reading this story. And I'm thinking, this is the church. This is what it means to be the church. And they, in the article, they talked about this is what we do for each other. He's a great guy. He's a part of our community. He does this for us. We do this for him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's koinonia. That's partnership. And that's how God created us to live. Maybe a third thought out of the story. Let others know what's going on inside you as well as what's going on around you. Let others know what's going on inside you as well as what's going on around you. God gave us one another not just to take care of the outside stuff but to take care of the inside stuff as well. Look at this with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Read it out loud with me. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Now, look at me for a second. How can I rejoice with you if I don't know that you're happy, if you're not telling me about the joy that you have so that I can share that? The, the contrast is to do. How can I weep with you if you don't tell me what's going on inside of you. See, here's one of the things, and this blows my mind, particularly in the church, is how often we, we find ourselves around groups of people and we have this, this koinonia that's supposed to be here, but we, we don't want to share with other people what's going on. We don't, really want, we don't really want people to know we're embarrassed about the fact that we're, we're having challenges or that we're struggling, like somehow that's a lack of faith. Or No, 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 no. We all struggle. Jesus shared what was going on. Look at it. On your outline, when he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, he took Peter, James, and John with him. He became deeply troubled and distressed, and he told them, read it with me, church, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Look at me. I love you. I really do but I can't read your mind. I can't know what you're wrestling with if you don't share that with me. Does that make sense to you? 
And when we talk about cultivating these relationships, one of the things I so appreciate about Paul in his letters is how open he was with the people that he was writing to about whether he was struggling or whether he was doing okay or, or how he was handling that. He, he told them what he needed and how they could help him. And you know what? I thought, oh, Lord, if we could just learn to do that. What scares me is how many people don't. You know, I, I had a, I got an email or a, a message the other night um, from a young lady that I, I know, and she was um, just sharing with me, and kind of in response to one of my devotionals, she was sharing with me about um, coming across some of her, her daughter's uh, journals. Her daughter um, committed suicide at 18. And my friend was just struggling to still trying to get a handle on it. It happened a few years ago. And she said, you know, Steve, I, I don't understand. She was, as I'm reading these journals, she said there, was just, there just wasn't any indication that something was going on. And, and I thought about how often, you know, that's the case in situations like this. Um, and again, please hear my heart. You have people in your life who love you. You have people who would be willing to help you. People who, for some, would do almost anything for you. But you have to share with us what's going on. You have to let us in to where you live. Does that make sense to you? Let others know what's going on inside of you as well as what's going on around you. Let me give you one last one. When connecting isn't easy... It has to become intentional. When connecting isn't easy, it has to become intentional. One of the things that hit me um, was the fact that Paul was in prison. And uh, again, this is way before cell phones or any kind of phones. And, and for Paul to stay connected to the Philippians and other people, you know what? It took a lot of effort. There were letters that had to be written. There were couriers that had to be secured. The people who wanted to talk to Paul, they had to come to prison where he was. They had to go to where he was at. You know, it took, it took a lot of effort. And here, here's what I want you to understand. When I thought about us and I thought about what we're in, again, it's just real easy to get comfortable that, you know, some of our, our natural meeting places have kind of been stripped away from us and we don't naturally connect uh, nearly like we ought to. But here's the deal. When it's not easy, we got to find a way to make it intentional. We've got to value these relationships enough to just make sure that it happens. In fact, I started thinking about, you know, in these times, maybe love can best be measured by the effort we're willing to put in to stay connected to each other. I put on your outline, you know, the greatest gift that you can give someone sometimes is the effort to stay connected to them. And it's also the greatest gift you can give yourself. Because when you stay connected to them, that keeps them connected to you. Does that make sense? I saw this last week. Some of you may have seen this. I just thought this was um, just such a, such a beautiful, beautiful expression of what I'm talking about. In fact, it made me cry. Um, there's a, a woman in Canada, that lives up in Gulf Canada, uh, Ontario, Canada, named Carolyn Ellis, and after the pandemic hit, um, one of the people in her life she became concerned about was her mom, who lived alone. 
And, you know, kind of March went into April, April went into May. And she began to realize that, you know, she hadn't gone to see her mom because she's trying to protect her mom from the coronavirus. She's talked to her on the phone, but she's not really been able to be up close to her. And, and she began to think about Mother's Day was coming on May the 10th. And what in the world could she give to her mom? She loved her mother so much. She missed being close to her mother. So this woman and her husband gave her mom what I believe to be probably the most fantastic Mother's Day gift that anyone could give. Play that video. wasn't getting the hugs and and that we really needed to do something about that kind of get back to normal it's, it felt like it it really gave us a sense of hope that it's not going to be forever like that physical feeling just felt so um, like home you know a hug from your mom it just felt so good I'm hanging one of those in the lobby next week <laughs> Can you imagine what it meant to that mother to finally be able to wrap her arms around her daughter? And can you imagine what it felt like for the daughter who gave this gift, realizing it was a gift she gave to herself? I really believe that one of the scariest things about this pandemic is not how many people die. It's how many people become isolated. Because it is still not good for us to be alone. Amen. I just want you to take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. But I just want you to, maybe in your own heart, think about is there someone maybe God's laying on your heart that a relationship that you've kind of let drift away during this pandemic that maybe you need to cultivate again? Is there someone that maybe God's laying on your heart that, that maybe you're just thinking about, you know, I, I may, not, may or may not be able to go see them, but I, I could certainly call them. I can certainly let them know they're on my heart, they're on my mind. Maybe some of you who are walking through some difficult places and 
Some of you have a lot of emotion balled up inside of you that maybe you need to open up a little bit. Maybe you need to let some of us inside. Maybe some of you need to allow us to help you bear that burden that you're carrying. You know, Paul found joy even when he was in a prison cell. And a part of the reason he found that joy is because he knew he wasn't alone. He knew that God was with him wherever he was at. And he knew he had partners who were going to walk with him through it all. My prayer for you is that you can have those same things. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this reminder today. Lord, we just confess before you our deep abiding need for you. Lord Jesus, you, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the life giver. If we don't have you, all of this very quickly becomes completely overwhelming. And Lord, I, I pray today. I pray for any person who's here. I pray for any person who's watching this online who has never connected with you in a personal way, that today, Lord, they would open their heart, that they would invite you to become their personal Lord and Savior, that you would become their friend, that they would know that wherever they are, Lord, your spirit is with them. Before, Lord, we're also reminded that you, you never intended for us to be alone. That's why you gave us families to live in. That's why you gave us relationships as a part of the journey. That's why you created the church. And God, my prayer today is that you will just remind us of that. Lord, in today's time, it's, it's just so easy. It's so easy for church just to be a video, not be relationships for music, something that we just listen to and not really worship that happens from our heart. It's so easy, Lord, with computers and cell phones to connect with a screen and feel like we're connecting with another human being, but we're not really. God, I pray today that you would remind us how important these relationships are that we have in our life, that we would seek them out, that we would cultivate them, that we would cherish them, and that we would hold on to them with everything that we have. Lord, I believe that one of the things the enemy wants to do is not just divide us. He wants to isolate us. He wants us to be all alone. But I pray against that. I pray today that you would remind us that every single fellow believer is a part of a family that you have placed in our lives not just people but friends family partners teach us Lord the power of bearing one another's burdens Lord we love you so much today as we reach out to embrace you Lord, bring to our mind maybe someone who needs a word of hope. Maybe someone who needs to be reminded today that we love them. Maybe someone who we might make an effort for like this woman did for her mother to do something special that would just remind them that they're never 
ever alone. We love you so much, Father. And it's in your precious name we pray and we give you thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.